everybody, welcome to Cinema Snorkel, where we look at the themes below the surface, and we snorkel them, if you will. Uh, mm. Today, they're below that surface. They are, and we got to use our snorkel gear in order to see them. We haven't extended this metaphor this far. Okay, well, let's not. You you understand why? So, anyways, Casey, welcome to the studio. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Carlin. It's great to be here There's in no the studio. studio. Um, hey. We're going to talk about the movie today, uh, Nope, which is the first, well, the first intentional horror kind of genre film that we've reviewed. We accidentally reviewed a horror movie, which was uh, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Strange and Madness. Madness. Yeah, but that was a trick. And this is intentional. Right here, you are going to witness an absolute spectacle. So what happens next? What we gonna get? The money shot. What's up? Undeniable proof of aliens on camera. The Oprah shot. You guys gonna tell what's going on? Conversation with you. Yeah, me too. Would you want to start us off by giving us a little summary? I would love to give us a little summary. So there's two siblings, Emerald and O.J. Hayward. They run a ranch along with their dad, whose name is Pop, and it is the only black-owned Hollywood sourcing ranch. So they raise these horses that go in these Hollywood movies and they are descended from the movie says the um the very first like stop motion video ever produced of this guy on it's like a jockey on a horse and they were like who's the name of that unnamed jockey you don't know do you well that's our great 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 grandfather and Mm -hmm. he started haywood's hollywood horses so they have this ranch it's really incredible except one day pop dies really mysteriously there's Mm -hmm. weird sounds and all of a sudden, he slumps over in the saddle dead. They take him to the hospital, and they find a, a coin in his eye. Okay, cut scene to a different storyline. There's a children's show, and it features Gordy the chimpanzee. And something terribly horrible happens with Gordy. A balloon pops on set, and Gordy goes crazy and ends up killing a bunch of people on set. But there's one survivor, Jupiter, I guess. It's short for Jupe, or maybe Jupe, Jupe is his nickname like a stage name jupiter's claim is the name of his theme park yeah so come to find out that that kid started a theme park just down the street haywood's hollywood horses which i'm going to say all three names every time i say it haywood, <laughs> haywood's <laughs> hollywood horses so something strange all right long story short something strange is going on around the ranch <laughs> horses are disappearing weird sounds are happening the power goes down a bunch and then they notice a cloud that isn't moving and they're like you know what this is probably aliens and these two siblings who, they, they want their big shot. They, they want to achieve the fame and the views that they've never had. That, that actually should have been rightfully theirs. Like, there's a couple throwaway lines. Like, you guys are Hollywood royalty, essentially. But right. it's kind of a joke because we all know that people of color were, like, excluded majorly from yeah. the film industry during so many of its formative years. So they have that driving them. They have, mm-hmm. like, lots of personal motivations driving them. They want their big shot of these aliens. The Oprah shot. The Oprah shot of the aliens. So uh, long story short, lots of crazy stuff happens. It all it all goes kind of wrong. I guess I do have to just like say the spoiler is that Jupe, he's buying the horses and basically feeding them to the aliens. Yeah. Sad. As a spectacle. So he'll bring people into his ranch or his little like amusement park and it's a like a crescent-shaped amphitheater, and they watch these horses go get sucked up by the aliens. Long Dark. story short, that goes terribly wrong, and everyone <laughs> in that whole town disappears, and there's a huge plot twist. They find out that it's not just aliens, it's one creature. And incredibly, they decide, like, after they survive one terrible night where it, like, soaks their house in blood, and it's hovering over oh. their house, and everyone's, they almost die, then they go, you know what? let's we're in it to win it let's get the oprah shot let's still do this so they set up a home alone style elaborate trap for it but they eventually do get although not in the way that you think they do (laughs) this is a terrible summary can i just just say you're really you're really bad at summarizing sorry can you give a summary of your summary okay (laughs) we're like five minutes into this episode i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry it's hard i saw it yesterday it's hard to summarize here's my summary how about you do it you try why don't you give it a shot okay two siblings have a family business in hollywood horses 
are trying to get the ultimate shot of this alien creature, and then they do. <laughs> you could only give that summary because I had given my extra detailed, yeah. really interesting yeah, extra summary. Detailed. My Thank summary you. was if, interesting. I'll just say, if people are listening to this episode, it's because they probably watched the movie already. I just pray that that's true because we spoil <laughs> everything. We will spoil it. Uh, you name it, we'll okay. spoil it. So what'd you think? What'd you think of Nope? I thought the take on the alien was super interesting that you assume because of the shape and the size and the way it moves that it's this cold, austere, like futuristic um, extraterrestrial, but then it's like weirdly organic, you know, it feels like a big jellyfish in the sky or like I, I, that was a, that was so like mind bendy. I thought was really creative. Right. Like realizing that it's not a a ship filled with aliens. It's a creature. Uh Uh-huh. That that was a enthralling twist that really captured my attention. Yeah, and and the way that it throws you off is because all the shapes are symmetrical and like the square in his eye. It's like his eye is a giant vent, but it's also his mouth. Yeah, and that scene during the credits, they're like zooming through this square vent, and you just assume it's like the chimney of a house or something. Yeah, right. And it turns out this is like the gut of this creature, and <laughs> that's where the people go when they're being digested. Like, uh, it was very, uh, it it really kind of sets you on edge. Like, Super it's very freaky, unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jordan Peele is really good at being like making you go, wait, what is that? <laughs> wait, 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 what is that? What is that? And he keeps you on edge. So actually, in that vein, Carlin, I, uh, as I was watching, I made a list of things that I wanted to ask you. Are mm. they silly or are they substantial? I love it. Okay, so first of all, on the set where Gordy runs amok, uh-huh. at the very end, they zoom in on a shoe, one of the actor's shoes. <gasps> and it's standing up. Standing upright. Silly or substantial? Honestly, it was so, I just didn't understand it, that my mind kind of deleted that detail. But the shoe is in the his little shrine museum in his office. Yeah, like Jupe's like memoir to his traumatic childhood experience yeah. that he also makes money off of. He kept that Freaky. shoe. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jordan Peele is so intentional and he does lots of Easter eggs. I'm gonna guess probably substantial. But how? But why? Break it down for me. I mean, there's lots of smoke and mirrors in a movie like this because we're all like we all know it's gonna go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're just waiting for when it does. We're waiting and for the shoe to drop. Oh, oh I, there it is. I nailed it. You did. Um, okay, so yeah, because so, this movie has a lot of soul. Okay, you're you're treading on thin ice now. <laughs> we're just gonna lace we these got- jokes in throughout the rest oh, of the podcast. Oh no, you did not. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Woo! I'll glit. You have that gl- aglet, aglet. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. The atomic fist bump, at you know, oh, like that the chimp does. I do think does. that's substantial, and I'll tell you all about that later. I think that's very substantial. Okay, so you're just gonna say the word substantial, and then we're gonna get back to it. Yep. Do you promise? Um. Yeah. Well, I actually have a note about this in my notes. Okay. Wow. About the fist bump. Um. There's so much actually biblical imagery throughout this entire thing. I mean. Oh. Right at first, they do na- they do a verse from the book of Nahum. Mm. Uh, in God we trust on the nickel that killed Pop. Oh, he's like, is a bad miracle. You got a word for that? Right. A bad miracle. Okay, so the in God we trust, specifically on that nickel that killed Pop, mm-hmm. they show that. Silly or substantial? Like, is it just like, ooh, texture? Like, ooh, like, (laughs) this is, like, going to be biblical in its proportions? Or Uh, are they saying something about God or about faith? My my best guess is it's texture because it's it's always kind of cool and trendy to throw biblical imagery, but I don't think they're trying to say anything about the Bible or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It fills you with foreboding because... It's like the there are some really severe prophecies in the Bible that yeah. make you go, oh, dang. A balloon uh, triggers Gordy, and uh-huh. a big balloon ends up killing <gasps> Jean Jacket. Ooh, nice. I did not notice that. I think that's intentional. Silly or substantial? Substantial. But why? <laughs> well, maybe not substantial, but intentional. So maybe there's a different, there's three tiers here. There's like silly, by which we mean, okay, he just like, the shoe's standing up, don't ask why. It's just there to make you go, why is the shoe standing up? Why? Why? <laughs> and then there's intentional, which is uh-huh. like, ooh, see what we did there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Balloon, the balloon you and the balloon. We see, we see. But it doesn't, it's not like, 
unpacking anything <laughs> deeper than that. Right. And then there's substantial, which is like, okay, this is this is kind of getting to the core of what they're trying to get through to yeah. us. Yeah. Okay. 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 Gosh. Okay. Good. Let's talk about some themes, my bro. Wait. No, I'm not done. I'm not done. Hang on. Sorry. <sighs> I have just two more. Okay. Two more. Okay. okay. One. Why'd they name the monster Jean Jacket? Because that's her, her the horse that she didn't get to train. So it's kind of like it's uh, her. It's her facing down her personal demons. I think. Interesting. She didn't get, and that's one of the themes I want to talk about is the their the father's legacy that they're trying okay. to live up to. Her bro is like giving her a chance to redeem um, mm. their past a little bit by taming mm. a new jean jacket. Okay, that puts us right into the themes. I want to hear from you, Carlin. And substantial. Mm-hmm. Carlin, talk to me. What are the themes of Nope? Okay. Okay, I've got three. I'm just going to give you a quick overview and then we can go in. in. Love it. Because they, they are all interlaced. They kind of lead into each other very nicely. So, the okay, the first one, like I was just saying, is the father's legacy. And it's interesting that you pointed that out, um, that their great-great-grandfather, you know, actually was a landmark person and a landmark moment in Hollywood's history, but he never really got the f- fame and the credit that he deserved because of racism. And he kind of has this horse jean jacket, or is it jean jacket? Or one of the horses is like not tameable. And I he, think it was the white one, Ghost. Ghost. He throws up his hands and is like, this horse isn't, I think it's at the beginning. He's like, this horse just isn't worth, it's not going to be tamed. We can't tame it. He kind of gives up. Whereas OJ, he meets this fantastic predator, like the predator of all predators. And he's an animal wrangler and he wrangles that animal. Um, and he does it in his own way. So he kind of fulfills his father's legacy a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Um, the second theme I want to talk about is respecting nature. Like there's a lot of dangerous animals, um, even horses as kind of submissive as they are. They're also huge and very dangerous. Like that scene in the beginning, he's like, don't come near the horse. Don't come near the horse. And these like silly Hollywood people are not respecting the animal and the horse kicks and almost kills someone. Um, so there's mm. kind of this element of when there's a predator, you can't, you, you can't treat it like it's a plaything, you know? Oh, Gordy is another prime example of that being, um, a vicious, dangerous predator, but he's being used on set with children. Um, mm. okay. And then the third theme being the one that I think everyone kind of catches on and that Jordan Peele talks about the most, which is obsession with spectacle. That man has this obsession with, um, like getting the Oprah shot or getting that and, and filming everything. Um, and it's kind of a commentary on where we're at as a country right now and as a society where we're obsessed with like TikTok culture and um, everything is filmed, everything is seen, everything is everything is put on display basically mm, for people. Good themes, good themes. All right, break them down. Let's go. Okay, Come okay. on. Start, so let's go you, back. Yeah, let's go, go back, back to the father's legacy. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I really feel like their dad sets the stage for their desire to be seen because it mm-hmm. feels like the siblings only ever see each other. Like Emerald has that line where she says, hmm. Pop, Pops never saw me, but you did. Oh, yeah. He's the one that looks up in the window when she's watching him them tame her horse. Yeah, right. And they do that like, I see you thing. Mm-hmm. And so all of their personal motivation, I think you're right. It comes from from that relationship there's also a lot of like family pride like in being black cowboys which is an anomaly like you don't Mm -hmm. normally picture black cowboys well they're getting there there's a lot of family pride because their great-great-grandfather didn't receive the acclaim that he ought to have and and here they are like just living the life and struggling the struggle yeah they're like real cowboys in the sense that they don't actually care too much about being seen or fame or like oj and his dad are the same in that they're not actually at first going for the fame. They're just like doing yeah. the hard work, uh, like wrangling horses and stuff. I like that. And you can sense the family pride that they have uh, yeah. in their dad, even though it's complicated. Like they wanted to live up to his expectations, yeah. but he left a big gap when he died. Emerald is kind of the one who she's got all these side hustles, you know, and she's out there fil- like filming herself and, um, She's the one who's kind of more interested in like advertising herself. She even gives that plug for her other businesses um, to the directors in Hollywood. Right. And I'm so I'm not really sure what exactly like is this pure critique of um, the kind of uh, 
the f- film yourself or like be seen on on television kind of glam or is this kind of like oh we see there's good to it but don't push it too far so now are we on our third one about spectacle yeah you're right i did skip themes there um well we'll come back to that let's yeah let's come back to this in their third theme but let's talk about the second one real quick which is um respecting nature and predators and stuff right right and horses and horses yeah (laughs) Right. Well, all all animals, really. Um, and like you, the d- weird director guy, what's his name? Uh, antlers. His antlers. name's literally Antlers. With his voice. And he does like this. <laughs> he's like got this weird thing. Did you notice every shot? He's watching predators eat other animals. animals eat each in, other. Like that's what he sits and watches for hours. What a freak. Yeah, that guy was weird, weird, weird. weird. And that's the thing that gets him to come want to film with them is he finds out if this is one predator and he's like, I'm interested in getting the shot that you can't get. And it's like, don't tinker with things that you don't understand a little bit. It's a little Jurassic-y. Very much so. Very much Jurassic-y. So then you have kind of, as OJ is, is applying all the lessons that he's learned from his dad while they're trying to wrangle big, big jean jacket is like don't make eye contact with it he has that moment where he realized like oh if i make eye contact with it it's gonna assume that i'm i'm threatening it so he's very strategic about when he looks he's like only look when you want its attention and and that kind of comes back around because there's a moment when he he's like i gotta draw this thing away from my sister so he like uses that as right cool animal wrangling tool it's like his skill as a wrangler that helps him finally like get the mm-hmm. money shot that they're looking for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they wear all the bright colors were you tracking with all of that they, like no. their plan what? i i was a little confused at their plan but it kind of starts to make sense the more you think about it so the um sky dancers that they put out all in the field yeah is that what those things are called the little tuby tubes yeah yeah sky dancers I'm, i think that's what they're called uh, okay they're i'm like just gonna believe guys. you i'm just gonna be floppy guys that's what i call them so that uh, it's like their minefield so that they can track where the electrical field of the alien is because when it gets near all, everything electronic shuts off yeah so they can look out in the field and see okay here it comes yeah right um but there's also this this color aspect and i want to ask you silly or substantial or intentional, meaningful, or um, just happenstantial, they kind of play with the colors of the flag, you know, like the flag that it originally gets. Interesting. I did not catch that. And it's like hanging out of its gullet, you know, like you see the flag come near. And in that last scene, they're all wearing bright, bright colors. And they are the colors that are on that flag. They're the colors of the, it's like rainbow colors, like bright green, bright orange, bright pink. I think to me that that is intentional, maybe with the resonance with the flag, but I think it also plays into the theme of spectacle that they've kind of, all of them have then embraced, like we're going after this thing. We're going to like get the Mm. big one. And -hmm. they've embraced the idea of spectacle. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. You know, on that third theme of spectacle. Yeah. I did notice every single character in this film is grappling with that idea. Like every single character is dealing with spectacle in their own way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all the way from Gordy, uh, who represents like what animals do when they're made into a spectacle. They Uh get unpredictable because animals are not primarily there just to be seen and like observed. Right, uh-huh. so Gordy uh-huh. flips out. Jupe deals with his trauma uh, yeah. as a kid, uh huh, by sort of making a spectacle of it. Interesting. It's like yeah. his unhealthy like coping mechanism. He can almost only deal with the carnage that he witnessed by making it into a spectacle, and thereby I think trying to imbue it with meaning for his life. Interesting. Right, this horrible, seemingly random tragedy freak accident happens and so the way he can synthesize it is by turning it into profit steven yoon actually in an interview with rotten tomatoes really broke that down in a really interesting way i mean that's essentially i'm grabbing that theme from him because diving into his uh character that's how he understands jupe to be dealing with this he said something so powerful he said even in his own life steven yoon's Uh life Sometimes rather than deal with uh, his wounds or his trauma, he'd actually, he'd rather it sometimes just be confirmed. Like people are always going to hurt you. 
or spectacle, you know, like life is grisly and this is the point of it, rather than heal from it and sort of let life hit you brand new. Interesting. Like if you keep that wound fresh and alive and you always remind yourself like this horrible, bad thing happened, you can't be wounded again. It's like a self-preservation. Right. Like you confirm it for yourself. Uh-huh. And I thought that and was maybe live live into it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think that really made sense of that character. Yeah. So I help me understand. Does this fit into what you're saying? My interpretation, and this goes back to the exploding fist bump. So the little Jupe is the only kid, the only actor that. Well, actually, his co-star survives, but her face is mutilated by the monkey. Right. Major uh, trailer psych. They make you think something terrible and freaky is going on with his co-star, but really, she's just a normal girl who had a tragic accident. So what's up with that? <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait a minute. Maybe that's part of the spectacle. Is like, ooh, like she's actually just a. Gr- I mean, we know nothing about her. That's the other thing about yeah. this movie. It's very like understated. Uh-huh. The word count uh-huh. in this movie's got to be lower than comparable Ten. movies with comparable <laughs> running lengths. Yeah. B- yeah. But like yeah, almost she's an example of we're like spectacle, you know, but she actually just is normal. She's just a normal girl with a tragic accident. They got us, you know, because y- they don't even say it, but but we're here sitting there going like, "Ooh, scary girl." Yeah, what's what's and her deal? Yeah. So, Jupe is the only one that survives, but Gordy scoots up to him. And does the fist bump. Yeah. And it's like in his mind, he thinks, maybe I survived because Gordy has a bond with me. And he thinks that he can have the same bond with the jean jacket, big floaty jean jacket. Man. And um, that's why it's like kind of his, it, it, it doesn't, it's not real, but he thinks that maybe there's something about him that he can, he can create this special bond with the predator and use it and harness it. Um, but that's, that's folly like he actually has no control over any anything man so here's the deal carlin and this is the central tension i wrestle with with this movie even Mm -hmm. emerald and oj want the spectacle and they want to earn the spectacle they want the oprah shot for themselves so my question then is what are we actually saying about spectacle because it seems to me Tell me if this is what you think about. But the the mm-hmm. the theme of this movie, the main thing they're conveying is like they are just bosses and they just go out and they win and they get the Oprah mm-hmm. shot that they deserve. That that actually you see all the momentum why they would do it. It's like they got to work to earn this. They did work to earn this mm-hmm. and they got it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they like deserve to succeed and they deserve the spectacle. Because they're triumphant. But doesn't it seem like that runs counter to everything the rest of the movie is telling us? Like, if you love spectacle, it's a it's a tragedy waiting to happen. Yeah, like, and they, the, the standout image of that for me is the reporter guy with the chrome helmet who shows up. Right. And he get his bike flips, and he's laying there with his leg broken, and he's like, did you, did you film it? Did you film it? And you're like, what? He's like, well, oh, don't wait. Don't rescue me till you get it on camera. Yeah, right. Like, he literally is about to die. He doesn't realize he's going to get eaten, but he knows that something horrible just happened. And the only thing he can think to say is, like, he's so obsessed with getting this shot. Yeah, right. And OJ is like, nah, I'm done with this. Like, this guy's crazy. And then saves himself, basically. Or even Antlers, right, the cameraman who... Um, there's something crazy about that because am I right in thinking that he has the film that they just got on his back? Uh, it's unclear. One of his roles rolls down the hill oh. and is potentially rescued. Oh. But one of them he takes with him into the belly of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like so there for the spectacle. So one thing I've puzzled over a lot was when he's like, we don't deserve the. Yeah, sorry, let me try again. We don't deserve the impossible. <laughs> and he runs <laughs> towards it and he like films, films, films while he gets eaten. Yeah. What, what in the world does that? Because so just to my point, he's dealing with spectacle, too. But my question is, uh-huh. what's his, what do you think Antler's answer is to spectacle? I think we're meant to critique him. We're meant to look at that and go, this is almost disgusting obsession with um, getting the shot at the expense of everybody's safety and even his own life. Like, who wants that? That's that's ridiculous. But aren't Emerald and OJ doing the exact same thing? They're fine risking everyone's life. Right. Well, and what um, Antlers even has this line he says to Emerald. He says, horse girl, this dream you're... Sorry. 
horse girl, this dream you're chasing, I can't hurt. You need to swallow a mouthful Uh, of gravel first. That's how you do it. Yeah, there you go. And don't clear your throat. Um, Horse girl, this dream you're chasing where you end up at the top of the mountain, it's the dream you never wake up from. And yeah, and like what? <laughs> Sounds like he's saying it's a nightmare. He, it's kind of like this cautionary, like I'm a man who's given in to my obsession. Yeah, you shouldn't. Don't give in to the obsession of chasing fame because yeah. you can't. Once you get it, you can never, you never get out wake of it. up. And it, and he, and, yeah. and he's like, yeah, just take me. Like if, essentially, that's kind of what it ends up being. One interesting thing about that character, though, I feel like Jordan Peele, like being in and around Hollywood types, captures something of a Hollywood cameraman. That is a little bit like a cowboy. It's like a cowboy combined with like just a master artist. There is that vibe, and I, it's not like I know it super well, but I see it like in I've read some like exposés about National Geographic photographers or something. Yeah, there's like right. that. Or well, and you've seen the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, so that's oh yeah, about. that too. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. a singular focus to their craft that is actually pretty admirable, but obviously in this context is bad what do you think Jordan Peele's trying to say? Because I almost wonder if he is, he's talking about Hollywood and he's talking about the biz, but it's funny that this, this film comes as his career is like really picking up steam. He's already had two blockbusters that have gotten him wild acclaim. People are singing his praises right now and he's making a film about Hollywood and spectacle by making a film in Hollywood about spectacle. Yeah, I watched him in an interview and he was like, why do we have to see everything? Like a mm-hmm. core a core thing, he's like, why do we need to look? Why do we have to look? Like if I were to sum up Nope, I would, I would answer it by saying, the central question is, why do we need to look? And each of these characters answer it in their own way. And some are uh-huh. destructive. Uh-huh. And Maybe this is me reaching, but some are destructive. Like Jupiter, it's destructive because he's like not processed the grief and the wounds from his childhood. But it's almost like we want to say OJ and Emerald, why do they need to look? It's because they've been deprived of like the their Their due. Their rightful claim. Yeah. Yeah. And they are now gonna like go out and take what belongs to not just them, but every person of color who's been discriminated against in the film industry. Yeah. Right. And there's like kind of a like a cowboy mentality there, like we're going to do this um, just to do it, you know? And their motivation, obviously, we're meant to resonate with. Mm -hmm. And there is something there that feels like, okay, yeah, like I I am rooting for them to do it. Yeah, you do. And that is the climax, climactic moment of the film. The biggest, best, like cheering moment is when they get the shot from the well. Yeah, right. She wins. Okay, can I bring it to my fourth secret theme Ooh, that I think theme. is the this is the meta secret theme that I didn't say before but now I'm gonna say it. it's a little bit of a spectacle okay I think the audience is the predator and seeking the Oprah shot seeking the camera like getting everything on film is you foolishly thinking you can wrangle the attention of the of an audience but it's going to come back to bite you in the butt like fame Whoa. fame will come back on you you can't you, and like uh, OJ says, you can't tame a predator. You can only reach an understanding with Whoa. it. Whoa. But it's limited. Whoa. Oh, man. Okay. And you know what? That makes sense of the opening montage where we're like in the guts of the animal looking mm. almost through like through what it sees. Oh, we're the we're the in the predator looking through its eye. And also, oh, that makes sense of a lot because people are fickle and we are ridiculous and we'll turn on you at a moment's mm-hmm. notice. And yep. we're like animals in that sense. It doesn't make sense. Like one minute Gordy's happy, the other minute he's going crazy. And if you think if you're like uh, Jupe and you think that you can fist bump that monkey and you're the one that wrangled it, you're just in a sweet little moment of sunshine. Yeah, you're like basking in the warmth of Hollywood. But we've seen it happen like every time there's a celebrity and then they do something wrong. They say something wrong and it can turn. Oh, man. The tides of fame turn quickly. I think that take breaks this movie wide open for me, Carlin, because I I then think that Jordan Peele might see himself as kind of an OJ. Um, Uh Like he's able to wrangle it, but it's not because he's precious about it. It's because he's got like really like a lot of caution and a lot of like 
this is so messed up and he knows it and that's what qualifies him to get the money shot and to wrangle this thing when the tmz reporter and jupe and antlers and everyone else sort of fall into the trap of of what it is but it's very important for you to know that yeah he's not wrapped up in it he doesn't think that he's gotten on top of it he's playing the game he's working the system he's He's like luring the predator, but if the predator turns on him, he's fine to back off and and take what, you know, like save himself. He's not wrapped up. He's not precious about it. Well, yeah, no, he, he'd he save himself and his sister because he's just like a stone cold, like realist about it. And to be honest, the lives of anyone else on that project don't really matter. This isn't like a team like we did it, gang. It's kind of like a, you need to be realistic about what this is. And other people's motivations sort of play out for them. Other than that these siblings are so tight with each other that they'll do anything to save each other. Like, save your own. Mm. Make Mm -hmm. sure you save your own. If you're going to wrestle with a beast, just, you know, keep what you care about alive. Yeah, yeah. What's, What's the takeaway for us then, the audience? Like, what are we supposed to go do? Like, watch more spectacle? Right. I can't help but feel like a spectator. Like I'm watching Jordan Peele wrangle the beast and I'm just going to enjoy it. <laughs> like I don't really, I don't know. I don't know what my, what I'm supposed to say well, or do. One takeaway, if we're just going to keep this metaphor going is that Jordan Peele doesn't really care what the audience does or doesn't do. Mm, mm-hmm. He's giving his warning, but he's like, all right, but you know, keep watching this stuff at your own risk. If you want to, I guess I'm going to do me. I'm going to like, I'm going to make the content that like works for me. And honestly, and that's, that's part of his social commentary as well. I think after generations of like oppression, people of color and Jordan Peele in particular, he's sort of advancing that mantra a little bit. In Hollywood, we have to tone everything or, or whiten it so that the audience will watch it. Like you can't cast people of color because the audience wants to see this particular thing in this particular mold. And so Jordan Peele, and that's what I even heard him say this in the interview. He's like, I'm, I asked myself, what movies do I wish that I had seen? Um, and then I'm going to make those movies. Like what movies don't exist that I wish they had? Almost the way that they portray that, like so corny, like cringy to the max sitcom that stars Gordy, the, the ape mm-hmm. is a way of like taming this thing down so that everyone will enjoy, like, look a chimp on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, right. Jordan Peele's almost like, yeah, heck no to that. Like that's, that's like whitewashing the situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're going to meet your own demise if you try to do that. Jordan Peele, I would wonder, he's got an ax to grind like many actors or Hollywood types who are, are living a life of fame. It's funny in this Rotten Tomatoes interview I watched, they asked Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, how do you deal with fame? And Mm -hmm. they're like, we hate it. (laughs) We actually, like, fame sucks. Like, you can't walk out your door anymore. Mm. And what they both said is they want to wrangle the beast, in essence. Like, they want to star in a film. They want to practice their art. But fame is the terrible, like, beast that comes with it. And they hate it. They all hate it. Yeah. And I think Jordan Peele is, like, pretty sober about that, too. Like, he's like, fame sucks. We are wrangling a beast. We just have to do it. You know, because, like, in essence, like, you just have to look almost with spectacle, but like right. do it with kind of a, a realist mentality, like a cowboy mentality that's not precious about any of it. Interesting. So very interesting. Um, Hey, I have one more question, and then I want to talk about our, our third um, section. Indeed. Why the title? What do you think the title means? I mean, I have a spoiler answer to that. I just watched Jordan Peele talk about what oh, it is. Oh, good. I mean, well, t- tell us then. What does Nope mean? Uh, he just like, he felt like this work was so singular in its, uh, like what it was that it, he couldn't think of a different title. So he, he just was like, Nope. <laughs> there you go. And maybe that sums up like the attitude that he's going for. Like, like other people are like, wow. Mm. Oh, hey, Gordy. Or like, I just got to get the shot. Or like, I've lived my whole life up to that. And they're just kind of like, Nope. Yeah. But we are going to get that money shot, though, right? You know, and they do it, like, their way. I don't know. That's the vibe I get from the title. It It's more of a vibe than necessarily a theme, I feel like. It's like the ca- cowboy vibes. Yeah. yeah. This film um, feels a little bit like a country music song in the sense that, you know how country music doesn't do a lot of, like, um, 
analysis <laughs> complexity <laughs> like it's pretty much like about their story it's like real to life like i got my car and i got a dog like and- don't read into it we're not talking about the themes of like existentialism and like <laughs> yeah they're not doing too much like they don't believe their own narrative because they're not really telling a narrative that's anything other than their own immediate surroundings <laughs> I'm on a lake with fish, drinking beer. Yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah, no, well, it is. Like, you don't need to think too hard or go too far. I was like, down to earth, day-to-day, salt of the earth. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, like, consumed with its own story. Like, a movie like, here we go again. Well, let me think of a better one. Wait, were you going like to say mo- Star Wars? I was going to say Lord <gasps> of the Rings, but I'm, I'm not going to say it. A movie a movie like uh, like a Chris Nolan film takes itself pretty seriously Uh like in the world you believe what he's doing you forget sometimes that you're watching a movie but uh like Mm -hmm. movies within the horror genre are so like hey you're watching a horror movie and i know that you know you're watching a horror movie and so the themes that jordan peele is going to weave in are going to be you're not going to pick it up just from context clues in the movie you kind of need to ask jordan peele like what did what did that mean no i think you're right he is making a work for an audience like he's making it for the audience like he puts in so many easter eggs but sometimes when you hear him explaining the easter eggs people are like was that the song that that guy plays on the ukulele was that like a thing that was the thing and he's like Yep. sure <laughs> yeah totally yep, that's yep, yep you got it that's that's what that was yeah no so i i know the country music thing is weird because he layered this with so much stuff mm. and country songs just can't do that but in another sense it's a country music song because it's about jordan peele kind of and horror is always self-aware that's what it is it's the self-awareness yeah, yeah. As a genre, within horror, everything that can be done has been done, and so it's very self-aware about what it's doing. And the only way to work with that medium, then, is to, like, layer things in knowing that you're self-aware about it. Interesting. Yeah, and if you're listening to this and you're, like, a horror fan, and this, like, this is your genre, you get it, you love it, drop us a comment. Like, I want to know, because neither of us really are in this genre, so we have a limited scope of it. I've said this before, and I stand by it, but, like, in its gratuitous excess sometimes, like, pure Mm -hmm. slasher horror films are a lot more like pornography Mm -hmm. in the sense that they're just glorying in the excess. Right. I do want to just cut Nope some slack here, though, and just say other movies that don't claim to be a horror film, Mm quote-unquote, do way more of that than this movie did. Yeah, I would say this is more of a thriller, which is emphasis on the human experience of horrible events versus just watching as a voyeur. Exactly. uh, The horrible events unfold. It's critiquing voyeurism a little bit. And I think that's what separates it from the genre. And it does that, like you said at the beginning, Carlin, it does that in a surprisingly like, like restrained way. Um, hey, let's talk about our do 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 do. I hate when I do that. <laughs> let's talk about our. <laughs> Sometimes at work, I'm like, howdy doody. <laughs> and then I immediately Why? filled with regret and shame. <laughs> Why did I say that? <laughs> howdy doody. There's nothing, wrong. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with howdy doody. Come on. No, there's everything wrong with it. You should never say howdy doody. <laughs> yeah. I never do gaffes, so unless you have a unless you have a cheesy Wild West themed theme park, then you say howdy doody. What's a gaff? A gaff is something embarrassing that you do in front of a lot of people. That's my life. <laughs> my life is a gaff. You're a gaffer. Yeah, Carlin. Let's talk about our Christian worldview of this stuff because mm. what? But what? <laughs> How do we answer that central question of spectacle? I want to say that this movie is very um, timely. Because we live in TikTok era, accentuated by a pandemic in which everything moved to being online. And there's a sense in which we critique ourselves by trying to poke holes in like the superficial version, like the Instagram, like perfect girl or lifestyle. And we kind of want to blow holes in that. Do you know this app called um, Real Shot? Real Real Life or Real Real Life? Life? Where you're meant to, it gives you a prompting and wherever you are, you take a photo and it will take the front and the back camera. And it's meant to like show your friends like, look, we're not being fake. I'm not on a a yacht in like the south of France. I'm sitting, you know, in front of my television eating macaroni and cheese. And some got on my sweatpants. 
so there's something we're critiquing the like the posturing that internet presence tends to cater to but i can't help but feel like we're still like navel gazing like we live our lives kind of feeling like we're on tv like we think we're on camera all the time and we're kind of hoping like well what do people think about my real life so if you're if you're really interested in having just a real life then why post it at all why share it at all right except for what i what i keep coming back to is people have on one hand a real need to be seen like there there's actually something very real and human about needing to have people see you um, and acknowledge you yeah. and affirm you. Yeah. Combined with this kind of self obsession where we kind of feel like we're the star of our own movie. Like that's such um, hashtag main character vibes. Yeah. There's like a healthy and an unhealthy aspect to it. But I, I really like what you said because to me, that makes sense of the core of the moral center of this movie, which is the siblings doing their little like I see you thing to each other yeah because we do need to be seen to be human beings yeah we're made for relationship we're also meaning making creatures our lives have to be about something like we have to sense that there's purpose to it yeah we're not like animals just going through like forage for some food then go over here and make a nest and do the thing it's like we need to have commentary kind of of our lives yeah and like validation and we rightly sense that the best place we can find that is people around us because people are real. Like people are immortal souls and image bearers of God. And so their opinion does matter to us. Like one way to retreat from a spectacle is to be like, nah, I don't give a crap what anyone thinks. I don't, I don't really care. I'm just going to do me. And actually like taken to the extreme, that's a viewpoint of narcissism. Like I don't actually care what anyone thinks. Like if you don't actually care what anyone thinks then you're in trouble but it's almost like you can't not care even the flippant effortless kind of look that you're going for is caring oh totally and actually i was going to say narcissism is not characterized by the absence of what people think it's actually characterized by needing to control what people think about you at all times so that they only think that you're amazing Interesting. The Have you ever read No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre? I have not, actually. It's a play. Well, you know Sartre. He's like a c- crazy existentialist French philosopher. He wrote this play called No Exit, and it's about like th- like three or four people that are in hell. Oh, you know what? I have read this. I'm so sorry. Hell is just, in the play, hell is just these people and their conversations with each other for eternity with no exit. And there's all these, this weird dialogue about like, there's no mirrors or anything. And so the one character is like, I'll be your mirror. And like everything that you just sit across from me and I'll tell you everything you need to know about yourself. And his whole premise is to say, hell is other people. Dang. Well, I, that's actually really profound, Carlin, because I think that that gets to the heart of what Nope is getting at. It's like, you can't live without other people observing you. And yet hell is other people observing your every little flaw and your every Mm. characteristic. And so there's a very existentialist vibe to our whole modern project, really, in the sense that in the sense that without a higher source of validation, we're trapped in scraping around for people's approval and there's never any exit. There's never any rest from it. Mm. And so I would Mm. say like Jordan Peele is trying to approach fame with kind of a cynicism that lets him wrangle it Mm -hmm. but i would say at our core people can't live like that they can't live with the the jordan peele cowboy no like i'm not gonna let this get to me cynicism is gonna kill you eventually and we actually need a sense of being seen and valued that gives Mm. us rest yeah Uh And it's not spectacle. It's actually just validation of the right kind that we're craving. And and so I see what Jordan's trying to say there. It's almost like the siblings see each other at the end. Like, look, we did it because we needed to prove that we could do it. And actually, the overshot, yeah, but we don't really care about the fame. It's about us witnessing each other, like, be what we can be. Yeah, and they're... I mean, there's something really sweet about that because they are... They're family. They're, They're all each other has. Their dad's not even there anymore. And they, they, they're all each other has had since the beginning. Totally. Like you were saying that earlier. And I think there's something real in that where the audience, the other people, the viewers, 
um, funny, they actually call the UFO the viewer at the beginning. Interesting. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, the audience, the throng, the just general other people can't ever give you the rest. But there's something sweet about a, a personal, intimate relationship with like a real person. She's They're real to each other. Right. And theirs is the only opinion that really matters at the end of the day. Like right. that they see each other, that they've got each other. Yeah, blood matters more than the screaming, howling mob out there. And I think that's something Uh that more people could do well to remember and to care about their actual interpersonal relationships, the people that are real to them. But I just want to say probably that's not enough. At some point, Hmm. you are walling off your heart to the rest of the world. And we're actually not meant to do that. That might feel like a good way to swing the pendulum away from a world where everything's flashbulbs and cameras trained on you at all times, but it's actually not a sustainable project. It's a it's a bad coping mechanism with a real problem. Because you end up putting all kinds of pressure on whatever your closest people are that you're counting on to see you. Like... You know, when you're having a really bad day, you're like, man, I just wish someone would notice that I'm having this day and say something to me. And if your friends and loved ones are distracted and like not thinking about you that day and they don't ask, you're devastated. You're like, I had the best day and nobody's in our home, are you? <laughs> right. Maybe this doesn't happen to you. It, does, it happens totally to happens to me. to me. But you end up putting this responsibility and burden on your friends and family that on one hand is their joy and privilege to meet. Like we love to be there for the people who need us. But on the other hand, we can't show up all the time. Like that's an amazing amount of pressure. And when you see like super toxic relationships that are enmeshed or over-dependent on each other, codependent on each other, that's not a good thing. It's it's choking and it will actually destroy the kind of of like love and security in a relationship and create toxicity. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's one avenue. The other one is that people just withdraw and withdraw and withdraw as people continue to not meet their expectations. Yeah, you wall off your heart. Yeah. No no one ever really is going to care and get me. And right, like no one ever is good enough for that standard in your heart to never be hurt. So Mm -hmm. cynicism will just make a corpse of your heart. Like it'll isolate it from all the air and it'll starve and die. Yeah. But here's the catch, Carlin. I mean, I would say that the questions we're dealing with are real. We need an actual reason to trust people again. Like we need, Hmm. we need some real validation that, that our suffering isn't wasted, that life's actually about something and that sometimes it's okay to trust people, even if you're going to get hurt. And my question Mm -hmm. is, where do we get an Mm -hmm. answer big enough for that or, or real enough for that in a world like the world Jean-Paul Sartre describes where we're trapped in a room and all there is, is other people and there's no exit. I think we reach the same insanity that Jean-Paul Sartre himself reaches which is that life is purposeless and absurd and we are trapped in hell forever with other people oh man it's so bleak but here's the here's the hope okay real life isn't actually like that real (laughs) real life isn't actually like nope and thank god like in one sense you know with full respect to what they were doing okay not trying to diminish the filmmaking or anything like that but you know like in real life we we walk out of the movie theater and hopefully care about other people getting abducted by a huge monster. <laughs> like we need to, we actually should yeah. care about people. We, we shouldn't write them off as like, they're just howling mobs of fans, you know, like, no, right. these are people made in the image of God. And like what happens to them matters. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can say that simultaneously with saying commoditizing uh, spectacle is not a healthy way to live either. So I can I can uh-huh. dislike what's happening, but still have a basis for valuing other people and on occasion opening my heart to other people. And how? How can you do that? I mean, it's what we come back to every time. It's only yeah. if there's a good and loving God at the center of the universe who's real. Yeah. That's it. it. It's his world. It's his world is not about you. You're you're like a you're benefiting. You're a beneficiary of a divine ruler. Yeah, and the Bible is, like, really realistic about human nature. I mean, even that that passage from Nahum, right, is the prophet Nahum prophesying against, actually, Assyria, which if you mm-hmm. if you read ancient primary sources, Assyria was one of the most bloodthirsty empires ever. 
to live. I mean, they would do unspeakable things to their war criminals. They would flay people alive. Like they used a reign of terror to enforce the rule of what was essentially the first like super empire that that mm-hmm. arose in the ancient world. And mm-hmm. so the prophet Nahum is actually saying to Assyria who used spectacle to inspire terror in the hearts of their enemies. So the first part of Nahum chapter three, which they quote says, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and people with her witchcraft. So mm-hmm. God is saying to them, like, you don't value people. You engage in blood, bloodshed and you revel in the spectacle of flashing swords and glittering spears and piles of casualties, people that you've killed. And so what God then says is, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. And then that verse that they open the story with, I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. Whoa. So that's some, that's some nitty gritty Old Testament prophecy there. But you see yeah. the moral order of the universe in that God is not okay with people making spectacles and using violence against huh. other people. And cosmic justice means he will then turn and make them a spectacle. An eye for an eye, which is actually a, a just retribution. If you're the cosmic God of all creation and can judge rightly. That's right. Yeah, which he is. Like, he is the one who can bring perfect justice to the nations. So the way to navigate the cynicism we feel towards really injustice or evil or tragedy or just the sort of the goriness of the world Mm. is to remember that there's a cosmic judge Mm -hmm. who he actually is good and he Mm. does see what's going on the good the bad and the ugly this isn't a random chaotic world um it's his world and Mm -hmm. and he's gonna sort it all out at the end in a way that protects and defends goodness Mm -hmm. and throws back at evildoers what they want to put on innocent people that is the message of Nahum. So we pull that one thing, like, I'll make you a spectacle. Actually, God is making a spectacle of those who would make a spectacle of their victims. Yeah. Uh, one of the kind of phrases that shows up a bunch of times, and the first time you hear it is when Cain kills his brother Abel. It's the first murder in the Bible. And it says, uh, the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. And God hears the, he hears innocent blood cry out to him. And that's what, like, raises his wrath against yeah. the people that would take innocent life. Yeah, right. Incidentally, to your theme, Carlin, about how do we interact with nature or like how do we respect nature? Mm-hmm. You know, part of the horrorness of this horror film is like, oh my gosh, what is that? <laughs> you know, like it's outside <laughs> of our conception of anything that should exist. You know what I mean? It's like we didn't account for that. That's terrifying. And while in a world created by God, we will encounter things that are bigger and scarier than us like you just look at outer space for example like it's a death machine it's beautiful but it's a death machine (laughs) Mm -hmm. and same with all powerful animals or carnivores or even horses but the reason why real life is not like a horror film is that all of those actually do fall in a hierarchy in a world that was intentionally made by god Mm. there will never be anything that actually falls outside of the realm of like of the understandable in terms of natural creation and to be Mm -hmm. honest i think that's the worldview that oj is so not thinking about they're not grappling with at all but when he treats Mm -hmm. this alien object like a creature with like sort of rules and a temperament he's actually a little closer to the heart of things than the showstoppers who think this is aliens from outside this world like this is our god almost like you really get that sense like we're going to offer this sacrifice of a horse to our deities these aliens yeah both the way they they treat gordy and the way they treat the alien they're both missing the mark but OJ nails it when he realizes this is a predator. You got to respect it. You can't tame it. You can't control it. But you can wrangle it. 
I was with my buddy Phil as we watched this, and he was a little disappointed. He's like a big horror aficionado, and he was like, yeah, it just like wasn't as scary at the end when they decided to fight the monster and like wrangle it. That was like one of his takeaways. He's like, <laughs> he wanted it to see them eat them. No, I think he just like for him it lost some of its seriousness when they had like a game plan mm. and it like had rules that it operated by. And I think he's right, right about that. Like it might have hurt the scary factor of the movie, and might have been a better movie if like it was more unpredictable right up to the last minute. But I do think that that actually mirrors our relationship with nature in the real world. Like what starts yeah. off as like untamable, freaky, we actually find a way to, we learn its rules, we learn its temperament because I think we live in a world created by God. I know that that take is yeah. way too heavy handed for this movie and not at all what they were trying to say. That's just a reflection that I'm right. thinking like based on having watched this well, film. That is, that is a good example of how the Christian worldview responds to a theme that I think the movie absolutely embraces. Like we're going to talk about predator. It's not the main theme, but it is a, a constant in that film. But I think that's one of my favorite things to talk about in Christianity is man's relationship with the earth and man's relationship with animals. Because I think Christians historically kind of get this wrong a lot. And part of it might have to do with drawing the the line um, between like liberal and conservative and, and throwing all the Christians on the conservative um, ticket for certain issues. I don't actually think that that's correct. Like man's design for creation is to um, steward it and to love it and be a nurturing caretaker, which cultivates and, and protects. We're not like the kings of nature that just take what we want and rip it from the ground and make it subservient. We're actually more like, um, like really good zookeepers. Like we need to make sure that nature is getting everything it needs to thrive and survive. And we're going to guide it and order it and protect it and learn from it and enjoy it. Um, but we're not we're not meant to um, just ravage it the way that humans have done. Right, or history. even like some of the characters in this film do. Yeah, ab abusing it, misusing it. Mm -hmm. So one last take for me that I just want to translate this into. Like if we, if there's a rhyme and a reason to nature and that's how we deal with it, let's translate that right to Jordan Peele's metaphor as like we're the beast uh -huh. and how do you tame the beast like as a filmmaker, as an artist. Uh -huh. It goes back to what Steven Yoon said. Sometimes we want to confirm our trauma rather than approach the world and, and let it teach us things. Uh -huh. And that's what cynicism fundamentally leads you to do. It leads you to see the animal in everything. So if you approach people and hmm. audiences mm -hmm. as though they're just a wild, untamable, freaky animal, you'll either like worship at that altar. Yeah, like me, like me, subscribe to my thing. Yeah, accept my humble offering. You know, my whole life is about this. Or you'll just write them all off and be like, well, screw them. I don't care. Like, people don't matter. You'll wall your heart off in that kind of a way. But if you understand that there are, are rules and temperaments to people, if you approach people with respect, and actually you just approach the idea of fame with a little, like, grain of salt, and you're like, fame isn't all what it's all about. Right. You can actually, like, find a way to thrive in that reality like once you understand there's rhyme and reason to it yeah and it's not just like chaotic freaky uh like extraterrestrialness right it's just like this is fun let's have fun and enjoy and explore and create art but we're also right. not slaves to the mob and we're not slaves right. to the the critic or the um consumers you can roll your eyes at the mob and you can also dignify and value other people like individual people that you meet and that comes from having a secure identity and the ultimate secure identity comes from knowing your relationship to god like honestly what i believe about god is the most important thing about me aw tozer said that good old tozer yeah and i just like stepping completely aside from the movie for a second and just going to the filmmakers and the actors and everyone in hollywood it's like aren't we sick of watching them just like self-destruct? Like yeah. don't, don't we want for them actually to have a secure source other than us, the audience, like we really are here to consume a product that they're going to sell. We're not their family. Yeah. We're, we're not actually enough. Like, and, and that's the, the catch. Like we fall into it. We think the spectacle is enough to like sustain the celebrities and the yeah. celebrities think that too. And we're, we're all wrong. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just want to humanize these people. Yeah. Celebrities are people too. All that to say fame is a curse. Yeah.
it's crazy that we all want to be rich and famous yeah when anyone who's famous is like i hate this actually we don't want fame well we do but what we fame is the corrupted desire to be seen known and loved right significance Mm -hmm. yeah we want significance yeah the thing is we have that it doesn't even matter like trying to get it the question is whether we recognize it or not Hmm. in a world without god nothing we do is significant doesn't matter if it's for a million people or on behalf of a bazillion people yeah nothing we do is significant in a world where there is a god everything we do is significant yeah which is why jesus is like a, a sparrow doesn't fall out of a tree yeah except god sees it and cares you if you give a cup of cold water to a little one in my name jesus says you're surely not going to lose your reward from that yeah i mean everything we do is significant everything wow for a movie that we didn't know what we were going to say about it we sure did come up with a lot of content (laughs) thanks for tuning in guys thanks for watching the spectacle that is cinema (laughs) snorkel are you not entertained (laughs) we'll see you next time